Welcome into the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. The Fan Checkdown is presented by ProLine Plus, the only sports book where 100% of the profits go back to Ontario. So, Donovan, we got into a conversation, well, we almost got into a conversation yesterday about Robert Sala and the idea of confiscating phones. And then we started talking to James Brown, so we didn't finish the conversation. We talked about haircuts for half We an did. Hour. I did text him after, and he thoroughly enjoyed the His conversation. Oh, okay. He's always got a good haircut. It's JB. Um, so you were talking about having the, you know, being in a long-term relationship and, you know, having the trust in your significant other to not check their phone to make sure that nothing nefarious is going on. This is not a like the fact that it came out this late is kind of like, oh, well, we probably could have used that, you know, when it happened. But does that give you an indication that Robert Sala, even though he is coming back, may not be long for that job? Like he's on a really short leash for next year. I mean, I think it, the play on the field gives me that. I think that just lets you know the camaraderie or lack thereof in the building. Like that level of paranoia, just to put it in context, from a week to week basis, there are so many things a head coach has to think about and worry about. You are, in many ways, the CEO of the football operation. When are we meeting? When are we traveling? When are we doing media? What media do we want players to do, not do? Install, when is that happening? Health, how are we communicating things, both internally into the media? There's going to be some partner and sales obligations. We're thinking ahead to free agency and draft, scouting, evaluating our own processes, and then just the interpersonal relationships of coaching your coaches, leading your team. Everyone looks up to that person in a way that is entirely different than a general manager who could quite frankly be gone for a week could be at league meetings or scouting and the operation would still flow it's not the same for a head coach so the fact that the head coach is not only worried about spending real time and energy worrying about what their coordinators are doing on their phones and what conversations they're having with the media that's one, not efficient use of time, but two, it just shows how bad things have gotten there. Are we, should we be surprised at all because it's the New York Jets? It just feels like it's always something there. If it's not that, it's a butt fumble. If it's not that, it's the owner saying something stupid. If it's not that, it's the GM just being a complete and utter tire fire. And in this case, um, or, or in the case prior to this, that your the quarterback that you brought in was in fact your general manager and not the you know assistant general manager. It just feels like it never ends with this organization. It's true, and you'd think, got a new quarterback, new lease on life. It's a new era, new chapter. Brought in a bunch of free agents, as you mentioned, around that quarterback, shedding the. Ghost of Zach Wilson and that missed pick and bad play. But with it, brought more trauma and more conversation <laughs> because the quarterback has direct line to the media and takes subliminal shots 
I mean, there's reporting out of Green Bay about what a sigh of relief it was to no longer have to have everyone from the front office to the team have to walk on eggshells around Aaron Rodgers and what his mood would be in season offseason. Remember, Matt, again, if we are thinking not fully a year ago, less than, it was a massive story that, by golly, he's throwing with his receivers in the offseason, and he traveled across <laughs> the country and spent time in New York. Like, that was a big, huge concession. Things that everybody, every other quarterback seemingly does. But things that would be very simple decisions if the sole goal was about winning. But to your point, no matter who is in charge, in New York, there have been so many competing agendas, and one of them has been winning the narrative. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's this person's fault. This player is selfish. Zach Wilson, do you believe he had the, the audacity to not want to play in a game because we are clearly done with him, but we need him to play because we have no other options because we refuse to go get a quarterback off the street like Joe Flacco or a quarterback who could be acquired via trade like Dobbs or, or Cousins. It's just... Competing agendas. Even as I'm talking through that, I'm remembering, re-remembering the competing agenda of, well, we want a quarterback. We want to compete. We want to be good as long as we can because that's our job and because maybe Aaron might come back later. But also, well, we can't have a quarterback that's too good because that might ruffle Aaron's feathers. Like, it, the sole thought process is never just about winning the next game. No, it's not. Um, it's just... As a, as a fan of a team in the division, I'm happy that it's constantly a disaster because it's usually one less team that you have to worry about. Um, and they've got players on that team that are really talented. They just can't put it together. Um, okay, couple of, a couple of notes here. Uh, Alex Van Pelt, who was the Browns offensive coordinator, somehow lost his job after, you know, basically you know, guiding an offense or helping guide an offense with a fourth string quarterback to a playoff position. Also, um, a team that was way better when said fourth quarterback got there. You mentioned Joe Flacco. He now lands in New England as the offensive coordinator. What do you think about the New England offensive coordinator job now that Bill Belichick is gone? And I say that because it does feel like they're in for a big turnover. We anticipate they're going to take a quarterback. Um, Bill Belichick is not drafting, so you would hope that they're not taking a guy like Tyquan Thornton over, you know, Rasheed Rice. Is that an intriguing job just based on the I don't the 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 unknown factor of how this team will draft without Bill Belichick there? I know it's kind of a weird way to ask the question, but just with the intrigue of, well, we know we're not going to do it this way. How much does that play into it, do you think? It's got to be a big factor because how high is the bar that you have to clear? Well, it's not very high. I mean, Bill O'Brien already left. <laughs> like He didn't last very long. Look at the two guys that they've had. Bill, Bill O'Brien, who's gone, went back to college. And, you know, the Joe Judge, Matt Patricia experience. It's not been great. No. And, I mean... To be frank, part of the reason why it's not been great is because the talent hasn't been great. Very true. But I would argue that part of the reason why the talent hasn't been great because the one thing that we historically have said 
the Patriots were as good, if not better, than anybody else at has been their Achilles heel over the last, I'm going to say, decade. They haven't developed the talent. No one thought coming out of college Gronk would be Gronk. No. No one thought coming out of college Edelman would be Edelman or Amendola would be Amendola or Dion Branch would be Dion Branch. Or Aaron Hernandez would have been Aaron Hernandez for multiple reasons. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> they actually did. They did think, uh, you know, geez, I shouldn't laugh, but they did think the talent was there. You know, the, the He was reason, talented in multiple factors, actually, if you really think about it. Anyway, be, the, beyond that. The reason they got him uh, where they got him in the draft is because there were... You know, red flags. Um, but so in terms of the opportunity with this team, I think it is appealing because there's some runway there to reimagine what they do and who they are offensively and to get back to talent development. Because I, I do think first pick aside, whether they, they go quarterback, they have some mocks with them going with Marvin Harrison Jr., which I'd be surprised by. Think no matter Do who. they have another first-round pick that we don't know about? Like, that doesn't feel like a team that's going to bring in a veteran, white a veteran QB either. Like Mac Jones, really? I don't know. I, I guess the calculation for me, if it, in your evaluation you say Marvin Harrison Jr. is Randy Moss, like, yeah, and he's, he's going to have a 15-year career and he's going to be elite for 12 of them. Yeah, and these quarterbacks outside of the one that they can't get because he's sitting at one unless they move up. Flip a coin. They might be great. They might not be. But we know this receiver is going to be great. And thus, maybe we get a QB in the second round or just punt on QB this year. We have a gap year, get a veteran, maybe give Mac another year, and then we, we go back at the quarterback next year. I, I, I can't imagine that happening, but more than one mock draft has them not taking quarterback. Either way, I think it's... You're going to get an infusion of some talent, mm -hmm. young talent, because uh, I think they need to prioritize the first couple of rounds on offense. So I, I do think it's an intriguing job. What about you? I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued by the unknown here because, again, like Bill Belichick does not have a sparkling history of drafting. It's very well told about, you know, the the guys that they've drafted in the first round that have not gotten second deals. You could even look at expanded to the first three rounds that have not gotten second deals with the team. And so for me, it's about, well, who's going to be the next guy that comes in and how much differently are we going to do this? Because the one thing that I will go back to is Nick Casario, who's the GM of the Houston Texans was in that new England front office and they, they allowed him to go interview. He got the job and look at the job that he's done with the Houston Texans. How many other people in that organization were held back because Bill Belichick was the one calling the shots and it was his way or the highway? Again, I don't know that to be true, but I have a feeling that that's how Bill Belichick operated. And I think a lot of people would be under that same impression. So that, to me, is is where this gets really intriguing and the pieces that you can fit around there. Um, the New England Patriots have not also spent very well in free agency. And part of that may be because of, again, the influence of Bill Belichick. So it's the unknown for me that makes it very intriguing in that it could be a lot better and it may not take much. The, the defense is in place. It's really good. And I don't think they're going to change up too much from what they've done because it's been successful. Even with the guys, you know, they lost Matthew Judon. They lost um, uh, Christian Gonzalez. Like it was not an easy year in terms of injury either. 
So that for me is why it's super intriguing. Uh, I'm going to throw a few more things at you here that are not in the rundown just because, well, we like to surprise here. But before you do, just like hearing you break that down in great analysis by you, life comes at you fast. Yeah. Like the the exact things that you described, they struggled at, were the things that they were great at. Mm -hmm. And now it's totally flipped. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you get old, man. (laughs) You you know, you're stuck in your own ways and this is how it was played 15 years ago. And this is how it's going to continue to be played. Um, speaking about the game 15 years ago, um, well, it was a lot more violent, as we know. And uh, Mark Maskey from the Washington Post put this out there, that the NFL is intent on banning the, high, the hip drop tackle. This was not something that we saw. I mean, we've seen it, but it hasn't been as devastating, or at least maybe we haven't seen it as often. Do you think this is something that they can get out of the game? Because sometimes... A hip drop tackle is not intentional because the guy's running away from you and you get around his thighs and then you fall and you end up around his ankle and then, you know, or his knee and he tears an ACL or whatever the case may be. This feels like something that is going to have unintended consequences and it's not going to be good because when you eliminate something, when we talk about, you know, eliminating the, the, um, low hits on the quarterback, well, then guys hit higher. Then they're hitting quarterbacks in the head. Like, there are unintended consequences with everything that you do. Some are way worse than others. I don't know what the unintended consequences of this are going to be, but there are going to be some. There's also times where it just happens and you don't mean to do it. So, as enough, like, the officials already have a hard enough job. So, what are they going to be? They're going to do review on, I mean, they already should do review like they do in college on targeting. Because that is one thing that college got right. But are they going to do review on this now? Like, how do you how do you judge intent in a situation like that when the game happens as fast as it does when guys are trying to tackle each other? I think they're not going to judge intent. They're just going to outlaw it. And it's going to be a new version of the horse collar tackle, which, again, wasn't really a thing until we had a couple of high profile injuries. I think the biggest one was troll Owens uh, right before, you know, the Super Bowl gets a horse collar uh, tackle, gets a high ankle sprain. At the time, it was something that Roy Williams safety for the Dallas Cowboys would do a lot, you know, catch you and, you know, just hang on for dear life. It, it in ethos is very similar to the hip drop in terms of, you know, I need to get you stopped moving forward as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. And that stops a guy in his tracks, that's for sure. <laughs> I, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop my momentum and bring my momentum down immediately. And, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out how that could be, you know, disadvantageous in terms of staying healthy. But at some point, and this is from an offensive person saying this, at some point we're just going to run out of ways and places where you can hit someone. And it's going to become flag football. You you can't hit someone in the head, even though linemen, when they get off the ball on every play, hit each other in the head. But I get it. it, it the cost-benefit analysis in terms of these headshots does not make sense, one, from a liability standpoint, from a PR standpoint, and from an actual safety standpoint. Totally agree. Get it. Slowly but surely, you got to get that out of the game. Can't go low only on quarterbacks because their ACLs matter more than anybody else's. Yeah. He, he can't face mask, which is fine. Just 
that's been a rule for a long time. We get it. Incidental or not, can't do it. Can't horse collar now. So if you are behind or from the side, get away from those shoulder pads. And now you can't hip drop. At some point, what? where is the strike zone? And the other thing, and I have empathy for these defenders, you are making these decisions in a nanosecond to the point where you're not even really making a conscious decision. You're just flying in there trying to grab cloth and hit color, essentially, hoping that it works out. And so what happens is we see it in super slow-mo from 17 angles. Which, which by the way, is the worst because that's not how the game is played. Of course. And every, anything looks more excruciating yeah. in slow-mo. That's why it's used in action movies. It, it, it builds the drama. We talked to James Brown of CBS about everything that they're doing for the Super Bowl. Over 300 different cameras. If you didn't listen to it, go back in the podcast feed. Great conversation with him while he got a great haircut. <laughs> All these angles, super slow-mo, off-speed. And it makes it seem as if, oh, Matt Marchese came in to hit Donovan Bennett and he had a choice. He could have moved his shoulder this way, yeah. moved his head this way. The other aspect that I don't think people understand is you're hitting a moving target. Yeah. So you, it's stationary when it's in slow motion. That's yeah. right. Like <laughs> you could you could try to hit a certain area and grab a certain piece of cloth and bring your body down a certain way, but that other person is meeting force with force and moving. And so you didn't mean to necessarily hit them in the helmet, but when they move their head down, are you going to move out of the way? Yeah, good luck with that. It's it's all a silly... Again, there's unintended consequences, and there's going to be with this. You know how you fix this, Donovan? You know how you don't need to legislate this out of the game? And it's something that the owners will never do. Guaranteed contracts. Players would complain less if they had guaranteed, full guaranteed contracts. I almost can... But are players complaining about the hip drop? Like, I, I I don't know if a lot of players are complaining I about it. I mean, some have... Co- like, I know Tom Brady came to the aid of defensive players and said, like, well, you're already taking away so many avenues. And again, part of it was because of Tom Brady. But also, um, I do think that players... Part of... For offensive players, I think their concern is, like, they're at more risk for injury than a defensive player is. Sure. But if we are having a PA meeting and we are talking about a list of things that we want to keep the game safe and concessions, the league could start with giving us all grass fields, maybe, I don't know, not having Thursday night football, maybe, I don't know, not having an extra game. But, but I think I think all of that, I think a lot of those complaints go away if they have guaranteed, fully guaranteed contracts. I think a lot of those complaints are just like, okay, well, this is the concession we have to make, you know, to have these guaranteed contracts. The same thing, like, Players would complain a lot less about the turf at MetLife if they're like, I tore my ACL. But you know what? I got $40 million in the bank. I don't have that if I tear my ACL at MetLife Field on a contract that only guarantees me $11 million. What I'm saying is from a league perspective, you can miss me with this is a health and safety issue because here's a long list of things that we actually have been able to study in terms of how they impact health and safety that you could change tomorrow. You just choose not to. Hip drop, we haven't studied it. It's it's barely been a thing. It's become a term like six weeks ago. So you can't tell me that you have the data that we need to take this out of the game. The only difference, and Tony Konerharzer says this all the time, the answer to all your questions is money. Everything I listed either 
makes you money or yeah. if you went and did it would cost you money. There's no cost to saying, hey, guess what, guys? No hip drop anymore. Yeah, that's very true. And and that's the thing. And also, you, anytime anyone says with the NFL and um, health and safety, I laugh because it doesn't exist. It's all about perception. If if nobody had any research into what concussions do for you, guess what? Offensive linemen will still be able to slap guys in the head. You'd still be able to drill the quarterback with a clothesline or lead with your helmet, all of those things. If it was not about perception, the this would the NFL would be barbaric. It's not health and safety. It's health of finance and liability. Yeah, protect the shield. And protect the bottom line. Yeah. Is there a legal case that could be brought up against us and you could sue somebody for anything, especially in the United States of America. But do <laughs> we have a lost football game? Correct. Do we have plausible deniability if we put these things in place for them to say, hey, we did our best? And yeah. I think that's why we're seeing a lot of these rules. It's nothing to do with the actual health and safety, it has nothing to do with the style of play or the excitement of the game. I think it's essentially it's legality. 100%. And it always will be. It, or at least it will be for the, the rest of our time. Um, some other news that we have. We have so much to get to. We actually didn't even need a guest today. I was kind of surprised. But things are just happening. As they always do, it's the NFL. So the Saints, the, we are at the point of the year because the Saints haven't won a Super Bowl in a bit. And they haven't really made a lengthy playoff run in a bit. We're at that point of the offseason for them where we hear about them kicking money down the road. Um, Derek Carr, it sounds like they're going to make a, an extra two-year commitment to him to lower that cap hit going forward. If you are a Saints fan, you have to be impressed with Mickey Loomis's lack of care for the salary cap and, and, and the, the you know, cap gymnastics that he does. But at the same time, you have to be frustrated because it's like, well, we can't do anything else. Like, we have no other options. Derek Carr is going to be a New Orleans Saint until he's 40 years old. We can't get rid of that contract. Alvin Kamara, he's going to be a Saint until he's 34 years old because we can't, we're not going to be able to get rid of that deal. We need to kick money down the road, whatever. It's not, I mean, they won Super Bowls and they're now paying dearly for it. This really has become one of the, and I hate to say this because for the longest time it wasn't, and I have a couple of people that I know and some friends that are Saints fans. They're not going to like me saying this. This is one of the most poor-run organizations in the NFL right now. Mickey Loomis treats the salary cap the way I treat a grocery list. Like, it's not a hard rule. It's just a suggestion. You Like, you go over. Oh, over to you, the side. You had four things on the list. You went home with 24 things. My wife is like, wait, wait. This was not on the list. Oh, we don't I mean, it. I saw it. Oh, you know, it was on sale. Our kid wanted it, and I, and I and I went to the grocery store hungry. Can't do that. And and there'll also be like three things that I didn't I, get. How did that even get in there? Yeah, <laughs> you sure you put it on the list? Yeah, he, he has wild disregard for it, which is why they've been mediocre in a less than mediocre division. Yeah. Which, and that's the thing that has to be the most frustrating is you look at the division, well, it's winnable. But we went out and we got Derek Carr. He's clearly not the answer. We're, you know, we've been paying Drew Brees for the last three years and the guy hasn't played. Like, that can't happen. But they had a great run, and I feel for Saints fans. You got a Super Bowl. 
but quite frankly, you you I'd argue you should have had another one because I was gonna say, one yeah. of the most egregious, you know, <laughs> non-pass interference calls of all time. So you were you were right there, had a bunch of good teams. They also had the oh man, uh the Minnesota miracle happened against them. Yeah, I lost money on that. Marcus yeah, I Williams. Rem- I remember that. So they, they had a good team for a while. They got their one, but they could have had more. It makes what the Rams are doing right now even more impressive because we thought the Rams were essentially going to be the Saints, if not worse. If you were going to say, F them picks, F that cap, well, you better, you better, make you better hit them on those picks. fifth round picks. That's correct. Yeah. And the Rams have, the Saints have not. No, they have not. They are in um, deep trouble. What's the last blue chipper they drafted? Oh. Alvin Kamara? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. Like, even some of the offensive linemen that they drafted that were drafted really high. Like, Marcus Davenport was supposed to be that guy. They mm-hmm. traded an extra first-round pick to get Marcus Davenport. It didn't work out. Like, Cam Jordan is the gold standard mm-hmm. there. How do you feel for Cam Jordan right now? He's like, I'm just sitting here and wallowing in mediocrity and I'm not really going anywhere. Um, yeah, I mean, Trey Hendrickson was really good and he's not even there anymore. Nope. He's in Cincinnati. So yeah, like they can't even, they can't even draft good players and keep them because of their cap situation. They can't afford to, that's right. Um, okay, we'll get to some coordinator stuff in the next block because there's a lot to talk about there. But I wanted to get to this Cam Newton stuff. So he talked about all these guys that were game managers and then he was asked about Brock Purdy again, and he basically said, um, I'm not going to back down from that. I will double down and say Brock Purdy is a game manager, and he's the 10th best player on his team. Agree or disagree with that sentiment from Cam Newton? Language matters, and I understand the sentiment and agree. Ten's aggressive, but agree that if I was picking a team, I would pick a bunch of players ahead of Brock Purdy. But one, that's not how sports works. You assign value relative to what somebody makes. Mm-hmm. And the level of quarterback that he's playing relative to what he makes is increasingly valuable. The New Orleans Saints would love to have oh, Brock Purdy in course. their building. <laughs> Who wouldn't? How many, how many, honestly, how many teams wouldn't? Yeah, the, well, it's a short list. Just not. There's like five teams that probably wouldn't because Chiefs, of the quarterbacks Bills, they have. Bengals, Ravens, and even the Ravens might be asking themselves that well, question because right it, it's not just the player; it's what else you can do around the player, given the money. So, in 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 actuality, you're penalizing Brock Purdy twice. He is so good for what he makes. They are able to put players around him. Then you're docking him for having so many good players around him. It's a double-edged sword. The language matters when I say that is I understand what Cam Newton is trying to say. Do not equate what he is doing to what Patrick Mahomes is doing, what Josh Allen is doing. The fact that Brock Purdy is ahead of Patrick Mahomes in MVP voting makes no sense because these are different animals that we're talking about. Yeah. I get that. But there is a connotation, and it has become a slur when you use the term game manager. Brock Purdy's not actually a game manager. He's not a game winner like Lamar when he's actually winning or or Patrick Mahomes. Brock Purdy got three first downs with his legs in the second half. 
he throws the ball into you know chaos at times. Hits a guy off the face mask. Those are not game manager ish plays. No, he's not- making game winning plays. It, he he's not someone that coordinators are are staying up at night worrying about, which I think is Cam's point. But it, it, Game manager is just a caretaker. Trent Dilfer was a game manager. Yeah. Rex Grossman was... No, he was actually really bad. R- Ask Adam Rank. Ryan Fitzpatrick also was not elite, but he wasn't a game manager. He was, he was he pushing was the ball down the field. Yeah. And so that's why these two sides are having this conversation by saying Purdy almost sacked, spins out, throws a dime to the sideline. That's not a game manager play, and they're right. But Cam Newton is also right saying, do not equate what Brock Purdy is doing to what Patrick Mahomes is doing because they're not the same. The most ironic piece of all of this is that this time and space in his career with the team that he has, you know who the best game manager in the NFL is? Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. He is ma- first two drives, 10 for 10. I need to be elite. Oh, my goodness. My defense has this under control. Let me not lose this game. I'm not going to turn the ball over and we're going to win. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's the definition of a game manager. Now, here's this is one thing, and it's still early in Brock Purdy's career, but for all the people, and Cam Newton's quote was, I've never said that Brock Purdy is trash. What I, di- what I did say was that Brock Purdy is a game manager. I ain't recanting bleep. Fine. There is also something to be said about when the information changes, so does my opinion. Are people still on this, Brock Purdy is a game manager, or Brock Purdy is not good, because they cannot bring themselves to just, I was wrong and the information has changed and he's a better quarterback than I thought because they are waiting for the time when the when the worm turns on Brock Purdy to say, see, I told you he sucked. Like that's what it feels like for a lot of these people that just can't admit that in the moment, Brock Purdy is among the eight best quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Takes until it is undeniable, inevitable. You know this well, not to the same level in a very different way, but we had somewhat similar conversations about Josh Allen in the sense that it was very divisive. Yes. You said he is an A1 superstar, or he's the guy who basically threw a Hail Mary to a fullback in a playoff game, and at times seems like he's losing his mind. Mm-hmm. And, and people did not want to see the growth. All they remembered was the beginning when he essentially chose violence all of the time, yeah. whether running or throwing, and didn't see, well, wait a minute. This guy is accounting for more touchdowns than anybody else in the sport. And so he had to do it year after year after year where people said, all right, it might not be perfect, but he's, he's certainly in that higher tier. I think it's going to take the point in maybe standing there with the Vince Lombardi trophy where Purdy is undeniable. You would really seem foolish to complain about what he's doing. We had similar conversations. Seems wild now because he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. We had similar conversations about Eli Manning. He had to win not one but two Super Bowls with clutch play after clutch play where people said, all right, he might not be paid in, and he's not bad. And there's still doubters out there. Like when you look at counting stats for Eli Manning, it's not it's not great. No. And you could you could make the argument that yes, he made big plays, but his defenses were really good too. He had two incredible months that are gonna get him in Canton. But the the body of work 
for his entire career is not great. But at the same time, listen, if we're going to say Lamar Jackson, you need to be playing your best in December and January, then we have to give credit to a Brock Purdy uh, and Eli Manning who somehow play their best when the lights are bright. Yeah, uh, I always go back to this. Um, how many quarterbacks that are in the Hall of Fame had bad defenses throughout their career? It's not a long list. Dan Marino? Yeah, there's probably one guy. And he didn't win, no. right? So that that always comes into it too. You are sometimes a product of the environment that you're in. What a shock. Uh, okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, there's a college guy who's back in the NFL again and another one who could be on his way. Two of the dare I say, most hyped college coaches when they came to the NFL. One is back, and one may be back soon. Talk about that when we come back. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. And you know, this this guy was rumored to be in the mix for offensive coordinator jobs. And he finally gets one. Cliff Kingsbury, back in the NFL. He's the offensive coordinator of the Las Vegas Raiders. And the last time we saw him in the NFL, well, we can call it a failure with the Arizona Cardinals. He had one winning season out of four. He went 28-37-1. He was the senior offensive analyst at USC before taking the job. When you look at this hire, is it one of those that you say, well, maybe, maybe, you know, coming out of Texas Tech and getting the head coaching job with the Cardinals, maybe he just wasn't ready. Maybe he just might be one of those guys that is better as an offensive coordinator rather than being a head coach. Cause there are, it's a, the, the NFL world is littered with guys like that. We talked about Steve Spagnuolo yesterday. Uh, Lou Anarumo might be one of those guys. How much of this with Cliff Kingsbury, do you look at it and say, if he doesn't have, like, if he's going with a veteran quarterback or he's not going to have somebody that he can work with a young guy, then this is all not going to matter. Because it kind of, I kind of get that feeling with Cliff Kingsbury. Like, a lot of it was like, oh, look how this offense is going to play. The offense that he had in Arizona didn't look anything like the offense that he had at Texas Tech. And I understand college in the NFL is different, but on a Texas Tech team that played with so much pace, the Arizona Cardinals were one of the slowest teams in the NFL. So did he learn from that experience? Yeah, it's a great question. And remember, he seemed to sour on the NFL experience so much so that when he was let go, like he left the continent. Like people were interested in talking to him for other jobs, for coordinator jobs, and he wasn't hearing any of it. Super Bowl week, he was gone for, for a long vacation with no return date. He ends up returning to college, a place that he was much more familiar with and had more success. And by the way, he could have been paid for like another four years. That's right. And just stayed at home and he stayed on that other continent and not done anything. Right. Or that beautiful house in oh, yeah. Phoenix that he had that yeah. we saw kind of good during draft night when we were 
getting to see into people's homes during COVID. We'll talk about this in terms of some of the other coordinators coming in to the NFL that were college head coaches, that maybe there is a frustration and exasperation of the state of college football that might be pushing coaches to the NFL who just want to focus on football and not all the other stuff, not re-recruiting your own players or recruiting in general or raising money for NIL or losing players via the transfer portal. I find this fit in Las Vegas fascinating because Kingsbury has a lot of confidence and has been a head coach at multiple levels. For him to work for someone who's never even been a coordinator and is going to be a head coach, that's a that's a bit of an ego shot, theoretically. I wonder if he thinks this is a spot for me to showcase, yeah, I'm, I'm an NFL-worthy mind, but also part of enticing him to be there is you're going to have a talented QB because we're going to go and get the guy that you just coached. I that A lot of people had, or were trying to make that connection, much like a lot of people were trying to make the connection between Shane Waldron and um, and Caleb Williams because you know Shane Waldron works with the QB Collective with Sean McVay and Mike McDaniel and Kevin Stefanski and all those guys. And I said, well, hold on a second. Um, Justin Fields also was part of the QB Collective as well. So let's not read into that too much. But this one is you're literally taking the guy that, I don't want to say created the offense at USC because he was an offensive analyst, but he had a large role in helping with that offense. My thing is, if if that, like they got to move up from, I think it's eight to get to one. Are they willing to do that? Like, are you putting Antonio Pierce in a precarious situation if you are getting rid of, a bunch of draft capital and maybe a player on your roster to make that happen. I wonder about that. And I wonder if they just look and say, maybe that's not who the guy is. Maybe we can trade up to four or something. Maybe Jaden Daniels is the guy that you want to get. Although you, you know, you got to get past the giants probably. Um, It's very interesting, but I agree in your sentiment that I don't think that this is going to be a veteran quarterback that comes in here with the Raiders. Like all the talk about Russell Wilson, you know, going to the Raiders for cheap. That seems to me like a long shot with this offensive coordinator hire. To me, the question is, what do you want to be immediately? And what does success look like? Look at this roster. Devontae Adams. You just paid him two years ago. You just paid Jacoby Myers last year. You're going to have to pay Max Crosby if you want to keep him. You're going to have to pay Josh Jacobs if you want to keep him. These are players that are in their prime. It, it doesn't make sense to pay them to come back in an increasingly difficult division. The Broncos, we assume, second-year Sean Payton should be better. Harbaugh immediately makes the Chargers better, and the Chiefs are the Chiefs. Do you want to finish last in this division for the foreseeable future? Yeah. Because your best players, if we are looking at the arc of the careers of your best players, their best football is right now Yeah. in the next little bit. So for me, our, our choice is we're moving off some of these people. We're stacking draft assets. We've got a young quarter coach, and we're, we're going to build for the long term, or we got to be really aggressive and win right now. The funny thing is, both scenarios 
may have you say best solution might be Caleb. Yeah, it, it's true. And especially for the long term. I mean, Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert aren't going anywhere. No. Right? The Broncos will see. Uh, the funniest thing about that whole division is that Jim Harbaugh is the only guy without the Super Bowl ring. Antonio Pierce has one as a player. Yes, that's right. Sean Payton has it as a coach. And, of course, Andy Reid has multiple. So, very interesting how that division plays out. So, the other guy... Now, I'm glad you brought up... Because I do want to bring this up in concert with talking about this next guy. Chip Kelly was also interviewed for the Raiders' offensive coordinator job. And that felt like it it flew a little under the radar here. He may be on the radar now for the Washington Commanders. And you talked about... It would be very interesting to see if Chip Kelly does make the jump. Because you said something in there, and I was almost like, did Donovan read my notes? Because <laughs> I, was ta- I wanted to talk about college head coaches and being sick of Transfer Portal and NIL already. Because... It kind of feels like college is becoming the stepping stone to the NFL. Whereas before it was like, if I get a college job and I'm there for a long time, I'm good. I don't need to go to the NFL. Now it feels like with all of the other ancillary stuff that is goes beyond, it was it already went beyond coaching because you were recruiting and stuff like that. But now you're recruiting and raising money and then trying to keep people happy because they may end up in the transfer portal because they can play right away. Um, not that I don't like any of that, but it has significantly changed the job of a college head coach. I wonder if even at the big programs, if this is going to change the mentality of coaches and coordinators to say like, this is just a stepping stone for for me before I get to the NFL. Whereas before you saw guys that would go 10, 15 years coaching the same program. And that wasn't rare. I feel like it's going to be a lot more of a rarity right now. And I think there's, novice football fans listening to this who are thinking, what's this guy talking about? Of course college is stepping stone to pro. It's amateur and pro is pro. Look at, that, that, that makes sense. Look at David Shaw. Look at, you know. Kirk Ferentz. Yeah. Nick Saban. The, the element that needs to be appreciated is if you have, not any college job, but if you have a strong power five college job, you're making as much, if not more money, than if you're coaching pro. Yep. If you are doing that relative to the amount of work you're doing, you're actually making more because you're playing less games. The season is shorter. You are either the most powerful or second most powerful person on the campus. If you're the president, depending on what school you're at, you have the ability to make so much more money off the field while you are a coach and afterwards, you're going to be able to come back to that town forever and make money and not. And you don't even have to win a national championship nope. for it. Just give just people, win a couple bowl games. Give people good memories. Not pay for a meal. Your kids will go to school for free, which, yep. is, which in the United States is not a cheap line item. <laughs> that is a real expense. Just listen to American radio, and all you can hear about is uh, if you're in college, if you're in college debt. Well, everyone is. And there are so many things that colleges will throw in for you, whether it's use of a plane. The, the stories about Saban and his gardening is taken care of, his house <laughs> cleaning is Like, you don't have to worry about anything other than football, X's and O's. Yeah. And so from a quality of life standpoint, from a finance standpoint, it, 
having a college job and being the most important person in that town or that state, it is really lucrative. The only thing that would keep you to go pro is these fact that these people get in these roles because they are highly competitive and have ego and want to push things at the highest level to say, I beat the best of the best. And I just didn't beat the people in my region, depending on where conference alignment was at their very time. But now with the headaches of the transfer portal and NIL, I think we're seeing the reverse of that. And a lot of those talented coaches saying, man, you know what? I may not have the job security. I may have to get a U-Haul truck in a year or two, but I just want to deal with football and professionals and not all that other stuff. Chip Kelly has an amazing dissertation on how he believes college football was great. should be fixed. 100%. So smart. One of those things where you watch, you like, huh, why didn't I think of that? Yeah. It, it, it all makes sense. But you can tell he's been thinking about it because you can tell that it is a problem that he's dealing with. Chip Kelly back in the NFL will be really interesting. And again, might be able to work with a young quarterback and really kind of I think Chip Kelly is one of those guys that is probably better in the NFL as an offensive coordinator than a head coach too. So that'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Uh, it's time for Bet Slip, brought to you by ProLine Plus, the only sports book where 100% of the profits go back to Ontario. So they've got on ProLine Plus three novelty bets, as they like to call them. Which of these three novelty bets, in your mind, is most likely to hit? Will the Super Bowl single passing player, passing yards record of 505 yards be broken? Mm. Will the Super Bowl single player receiving yards record of 215 yards be broken? Or will the Super Bowl single player rushing record of 204 yards be broken? In your mind, which is more likely to happen? Love the question. I'm going to go rushing only because I'm playing law of averages, I think there's multiple players who could break it. I think the lead backs for both teams, Isaiah Pacheco, assuming Andy Reid decides him to give him enough work, which isn't always the case in big games, and Christian McCaffrey, who could break off a couple long runs because he's so talented, I think both of those guys could. Look at 215 receiving. How many players realistically could do that well you look at you look at both sides of the ball and that was my logic too was i just looked at the players and that's no disrespect either to patrick mahomes but i don't i don't know that anybody is going to break 505 yards in a super bowl no the game is just i know it's you know as we say the passing league but i mean patrick mahomes also doesn't have the horses to throw for 505 yards and i don't think andy reed wants him to throw for 505 well think about how many Attempts he would need when he's been averaging around five, six yards per attempt in the playoffs. That's a lot of that's a lot of attempts. It's not it's not uh, an ideal situation. I think the rushing record is that's the one I agree with you. And I just looked. I didn't even uh, Isaiah Pacheco wasn't even in my thought process oh, when so- I was doing it. I was like, Christian, if anybody's going to break it, it's Christian McCaffrey because he's. The best running back in the NFL right now, all round running back. You, you want to say he's not the best pure runner. He's not, but he's one of the best pure runners. That's where I, and I look, I'm like, on the San Francisco side, like, could I really see Brandon Ayuk breaking the receiving record or Debo Samuel? No. Like Travis, even Travis Kelsey, probably not. He, he would need 10 catches or, or 20 catches. 20 catches. Yeah. So that's where I looked at it and went, 
that's if if I were to place a wager, that would be the one because of Christian McCaffrey. Well, forget about the players. Let's flip side. Let's look at the defenses. Yeah, that's true. True. The Achilles' heels of both of these defenses is stopping the run. Yeah, and that was and that was another thing we had talked about that yesterday. Um, just, I mean, that that would be the one that I would. Uh, that I would have to go with. Uh, that was Bet Slip brought to you by ProLine Plus, the only sportsbook where 100% of the profits go back to Ontario. We had things that we didn't even get to. I mean, maybe we should ask this question quickly. Uh, what's a better DC job, Baltimore or Dallas that's available right now? Baltimore. Although Dallas, you could become the head coach <laughs> through the season, so it depends what you want. But th- there's more talent with Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore's defense, and you know what? They although Dallas drafts really well too. Baltimore drafts really, really well. They don't seem to miss on those defensive draft picks and offensive linemen. They do pretty well there too. True. Uh, that's gonna do it for us here on the Fan Checkdown. Uh, no real football this weekend. There's you know that Pro Bowl stuff whatever flight football if you're interested in that uh, but next week is going to be a big week for us as we get you set for the super bowl so make sure you tune in thanks to lance behind the glass donovan across the table matt marchese signing off for the fan check down talk to you next week bye-bye